Hey, hey, you guys. Welcome once again to another episode of Horror Cult. It's episode number four in this edition. We're going to talk a little bit about anthology horror. We're going to talk about those movies that combine multiple tracks of terror into one convincing monster sandwich. Sandwich. Sinister sandwich. Mm, sinister sandwich. Mm, sinister sandwich. I'm one of your two hosts for this occasion, Victor Moreno, along with Kirby Nelson. Two sample uh so yeah uh sorry guys we've just been busy the last couple weeks so we're a little a little behind in getting uh as many episodes out to you as we would like to so we're just going to kind of do a little bit of a of a little bit of a ramp up catch up if you will um you know the main movie i think both of us saw in the last week was scary stories to tell in the dark directed by andre overdahl the director of Troll Hunter and the Autopsy of Jane Doe, which I'm pretty sure was one of my best films, was on my best films list for 2016. It was. We were just discussing our possession episode. Yeah, such time. a good movie. Excellent, excellent movie. Troll Hunter is a great movie too. Yeah. Um, and Guillermo del Toro involved, produced, and wrote the original draft. Mm-hmm. And I know. Uh, got a review up that on cultfollowing.co yep so there's i mean there it's a say long awaited is probably an understatement i think this was like a lot of people's most anticipated film for this year weirdly enough um because apparently it's apparently evidently now it's based on a series of books it is called scary stories tell dark by a guy named alvin schwartz that See, folks, you might not know this, but I have a multicultural background, so I did not grow up with these stories. The first time I ever heard of scary stories to tell in the dark was a couple years back when I went to the um, Guillermo del Toro LACMA uh, retrospective in Los Angeles, and he had Oh, he owned the original artwork for a lot mm-hmm. of the books, and I remember uh, it was with Ruby and a couple other people, and every everyone I saw was like, oh, "Fuck, it's scary story!" And I'm like, "What is this?" Literally, I, I was like, "Oh my god, am I?" It's like a Berenstein Bears effect kind of deal or a Mandela effect. <laughs> I was like, "I have no idea what the hell this is," but everybody apparently is like, insanely like taken by this thing. You know, and I didn't really, I, I still haven't read it, but it's just, but just a bunch of short, like, two-page scary stories. I like how you make it multicultural, like, your uh, your your mother was talking about the Kikui or something, and therefore <laughs> you never heard of scary stories. But, I mean, like, I found it, I mean, we have my family, like, my brother used to get, it's one of the most challenged books ever in library history in the really? public school system. Um, because you I might have been an unknowing victim of censorship. You may have been an unknowing victim of Kipper Gore. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, it really was just, uh, I think, it, I mean, it came out in 1981, so it was a couple years after we were born. Yeah. Victor and I are about the same age, and so it's uh, it's just one of those things where, I mean, I think people who grew up with it grew up with it and know it really, really well, and um, those who didn't, didn't, and it's for various reasons. I mean, it's, I, I'm not necessarily, I mean, it, it definitely was 
more popular when I was young. Yeah. And by the time I had hit probably preteens or what's now the tween years, I mean, I don't think many people mention it. I, I didn't have any friends who had ever read this book or heard of it. I, You know, if you said it came out like 81, you know, it would have had to have like much older friends who grew up with and it. And that's what I mean. Like I had an older brother, so my brother, I probably rented it, had it. And therefore, it just kind of became a thing. But the other part, too, is like I said, it was like in a library system. It wasn't quite like, you know. It it's not scholastic. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. like goosebumps or something. Yeah. Well, scholastic, um, I think that, uh, you know, I, I I mean, I think, well, I mean, like the scholastic book fair was a way of life. But I also think that a big part of it was that, um, you know, there were a series of books and stuff. I, Where's Waldo was the first one I ever remember being like. You know, oh, that's the book people grabbed. Um, yeah, that and those, um, you know, hidden pictures. Like that's kind of what I remember on the tail end of my primary yeah. years. Like, I mean, when I think of like scary, like or at least horror book, anything remotely close to that. I mean, I remember like, I don't know if these are goosebumps. They wouldn't really be like my teacher is an alien. Yeah, I read that. That was on my fourth grade book report right? was on. Yeah. But there was a lot of that. That was like the pre-Goosebumps years. Yeah. And then there was like, um, uh, there was always, it's weird, like Goosebumps came out when I was hanging into like junior high. Yeah. So it was like read it, but at the same time I was reading Stephen King and Clyde Barker. Yeah, see. So I was kind of like, oh yeah, it's okay. I think that's kind of the same deal because I remember like when I was already like in sixth grade, that was when I was like reading like Anne Rice books or like Poppy Z. Right. I remember like in junior high, I was like reading those like terrible hot blood anthologies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Dude, I, I, I swear to God, anyone our age has to remember like going to like Walden books or D. Dalton and like, oh, the sexy horror books. Well, there was, a, I mean, a big thing. And Tales of, from the Crypt was already a thing then, Well, too. yeah, Tales from the Crypt was, like, the first anthology. I mean, I grew up, because that's not true, because I do remember watching Tales from the Dark Side. Yeah. Obviously, Twilight Zone. Tales um, from the Dark Side used to freak me out. It was a theme song, That I theme think. song is terrifying. Yeah. Um, also, like, one of the top horrorcore hip-hop samples of all time. Yeah. It's so perfect. But, um, I mean, there were other shows, of course. There was, you know, the the... the revival or revival of twilight zone um i don't remember if beyond belief i think was out at about a little around that time no later. i think not beyond when i was belief a kid, was like a yeah like when i was in high school or something yeah. like it was yeah it was it's was totally the late 90s because it was wasn't jonathan Frakes. yes yes and, so it was and here's the whole later. thing the other like a week or two ago i was talking to ruby and she'd never heard of beyond belief mm -hmm. fact or fiction and i like Found, there's a super cut on YouTube. I'm gonna have to link in the description of this episode of Jonathan Frakes doing like the rhetorical uh, questions, introducing every episode. It's like, do you believe a dark can a dog can bark in the supernatural and all this yeah, stupid garbage? And then there's one that's just him doing bad puns for five minutes, and I was we were like dying laughing. That makes me think of the. Uh... Robot Chicken Croup Keeper Monster High one. Yeah, like, uh, it, it's. I, I would have hoped you would have come onto that show too. But the um, no, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I mean, the heavy when I was a kid was actually Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, that was the like the the scariest show I think I ever saw. Like it terrified me. Most of the episodes, like Tales from the Crypt or Tales from uh, Tales from the Dark Side, weren't actually that terrifying. They weren't quite as um. 
you know, it's just kind of like some were a little creepy, but most of them, the ones that I saw, kind of like when Monsters yeah. came out, the occasional episode of Monsters I'd catch secondhand. I mean, some were really good, and a lot of them were just kind of, I mean, that's yeah. a lot of people kind of have this, uh, you know, they had low budgets like Freddy's Nightmares. I remember Freddy's Nightmares, I think, used to freak me out more because I built it up in my head. Yeah. Because, like, you know, oh, my God, Freddy. Because, you know, this was Freddy's Nightmares, I think, came out before Freddy became, like, the punny joke. It was right. It was between, like, it was right after four. So he was just hitting that that stride. Yeah. And it was, like, at least where I lived, it was on, like, it was on Saturdays at, like, 1130 Well, yeah, because it had to be moved. Right. Um, And then it was just like, oh, shit, like, you're doing something wrong even being up this late to watch it. So it just created more of this, like, weird mood. And I don't know if that kind of, like, weird, like, horror guilt is even a thing. (laughs) But I swear to God, it has to be. Like, you felt, like, the fact that you felt bad that you were doing it made it that much more, you got spooked that much easier. Well, I definitely remember uh, less on the spook and more on the sex was uh, the um, I remember staying up to watch Tales in the Crypt because yeah. it was the only time I ever got to see nudity right um, on any obviously on any show and definitely in most movies. My folks were always, you know, like most people in the States is just that, you know, um, profanity and violence were OK, but nudity and um, like sex were, you know, verboten. And so it was. You know, and that kind of going back to that whole like B. Dalton Walton books thing. I mean, the other ones I always remember was like uh, Nancy A. Collins and stuff, and a lot of those anthology books where I could read the short stories. Yeah. And a lot of them had, you know, uh, gratuitous and copious amounts of sex. And, yeah. You know, and it was like for a kid, you know, it wasn't that like Stephen King and Clyde Barker, obviously, that wasn't prevalent in their um, works either. It was just a matter of that it was a cheap thrill kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know. It's just weird because, like, I remember I bought a lot of horror anthology books when I was, because I read a lot when I was younger. I don't really read that much anymore, you know, because there's so much shit to watch. But, um, like, I remember I had, like, all these, like, copies of Bright Short Story Collection and Hot Blood and that kind of stuff. And it's just, a lot of it was just, like, weird, like, like, I'm jumping and using a weird literary term. Um, how many, uh, horror like anthologies like especially in the 80s use this idea of orientalism like we're gonna do this whole thing where it's like horror but we're gonna like explore asian or indian culture at the same time and make it that like much weirder and like oh because it's something you don't know it's like oh fuck this might be real because i remember there's one poppy z bright uh short story that i really liked it's uh where she's in india and there's a zombie apocalypse. And this was like in, yeah, I'm reading this in 1992, you know, where like, you know, they throw bodies out in the Ganges and then people are start coming back. And it's like, oh, they just were wrong about that person dying. So they start biting people. And there was another one where it was really freaky where uh, these two guys like break into um, uh, like a funeral home in like Chinatown in San Francisco because they heard the mortician who runs it like keeps an opium stash like where he they keep the corpses and they find like this dead girl and like a you know hot asian dead girl or whatever before that that movie dead girl came out you know years before and the guys are talking to each other it's like oh i heard asian girls like they're slid open sideways and they're like 
all like talking like I don't want to touch a dead girl da 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 and they finally decide to do it and it's normal and they peel it open and there's an eyeball looking at them and they freak out and run and it comes back to life because it's just like some like you know Cthulhu-ish corpse or something you know so it's like that was like one of those early things where I'm like getting exposed to Lovecraftian ideas and like weird you know like oh we're using ideas from other cultures along with zombies which weren't less played out than as they are now yeah well and i mean that's i mean anthologies were also when you didn't have a lot of money you yeah know, pick one book or whatever i mean that was always the easiest way to go um another big thing for me was i mean i was like i mean i think oh that, and before yeah. i cut you off because i am i'm gonna say as usual i'm gonna say uh the main reason i bought that anthology was because dan o'bannon did the forward to that book Oh, did he? Yeah. Yeah, so that I, was cool. Well, my biggest one, I remember, and, and funny enough, also 92, I was on vacation. We went to, so I lived in Northern California, we went to Disneyland, and then actually my first visit to Arizona ever was that time to visit my grandparents who lived here at the time. And it was uh, to see, or um, I bought a book, um, still one of my favorite anthologies, if you want to look it up, it's called Shock Rock, uh-huh. and Stephen King wrote the foreword. Oh. But it also, that was the one that introduced me to Nancy A. Collins. It introduced me, uh, uh, Mark Veriden wrote a story in it. A bunch of people, like, because I just started reading Dark Horse comics. Is he the one, like, Ver, I always Ver thought Hayden. Verheiden. Verheiden. Okay. Verheiden. Just Verheiden, for yeah. you listening, because like, yeah. I always thought his name was Verheiden. Well, which yeah, is, you're probably knows. right. No, no, or no, it's no. probably somewhere in between. Oh, it could be. Yeah. It's either or. I mean, I haven't heard it enough to, to really yeah. remember it. But I'm sure someone's furiously commenting right now. So <laughs> whatever, where makes you happy? But no, it's it's really um the the anthologies and stuff. I mean, and that one was um you know a um rock and roll horror anthology. And this is yeah. before I'd ever seen. Obviously, like I remember the cover of Black Roses being the most distinctive VHS prize yeah. besides maybe Dead Pit or Metamorphosis because it also had like a 3D kind of aspect, as I recall, or it looked 3D. Um, you know, I don't know, just to my mind, but um, I remember Black Roses had yeah. at least the DVD has this very cholo looking cover. With well, it. yeah, well, it was, it was like one of those uh, uh, mirrors at a county fair, like a yeah. vending machine sticker, and you know, people, it was just that was this type of art at the time. You know, it was a black velvet painting yeah. kind of thing, and um, but like rock and roll horror. I mean, I was, you know, this is why I was just getting into. You know, I, I mean, I had been into bands like Metallica and Guns N' Roses, Nirvana had just come out and stuff, but rock was, you know, the thing. It was what was in, and to be able to read stories about it and stuff, and there were, I mean, some of the best stories I've ever read. I always consistently say that if you're going to make um, a horror film, um, and you want to make, especially like an anthology, I would go back to a lot of these anthologies and mine stories. It's kind of like yeah. one of the things I always think that were revive horror franchises is years ago, like, uh, there was a couple companies like Devil's Due, Dynamite, um, Wildstorm, who did, uh, at got a lot of these projects. Our friend Brian Polito did some, you know, for, like, Child's Play, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and all those. And I always felt like some of those comics had the best stories I'd ever read. Yeah. Better than any of the movies. And I was like, wow, this would make such an amazing film. Some were at least um, script length. And I was like, man, that no one will ever use this probably. Yeah, um, it's really pretty sad when that happens. It's weird because, like, I remember at least one of, like, you know, there's all the Anthology Pro comics and books. And one of them, Wicked Prayer, they actually did make into a movie. And it has a great cast, but the movie itself is garbage. 
like i mean by great cast i mean everybody in it is famous but also it's just super weird like david boreanis is like this rockabilly like uh satanist and he's trying to kidnap emmanuel shikri who's like danny trejo's daughter so you get this indian blood and come back from the dead and then like david boreanis is or yeah his uh his uh wife or his girlfriend in the movie is Tara Reed, who is trying to be a satanic priestess, and her dad is Dennis Hopper, and Edward Furlong is the, is the crow. crow. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was gonna say. It was always the most. You knew after what was it? Uh, City Angels. That yeah, was going I down. like City. No, of but Angels, it was going downhill yeah. in terms. Of, it was going not downhill as much as it was direct to video. Yeah, it was just. To be fair, I, I'll say I like the color direction, the directing and stuff of City of Angels. It is not a great movie well yeah it's just but i mean that's also just what happened to a lot of movies it's funny too in that com just that little bit you just gave i also always laugh because is it um i've heard it pronounced david boreans and Borean, like all these different boring anus. well that too maybe i'm sure it's probably his <laughs> sorry his, junior, dude, his junior high years yeah Do you want me to sign your bones dvd <laughs> god well, we'll probably see him eventually. Here. I do think it's funny. I guess they just had like the twentieth anniversary of Angel not that yeah. long ago. I'm like, shit, that does not. Or, well, if you think that, uh, but really, Buffy's not... already been off the air for fifteen years. Yeah, almost sixteen. It's been sixteen. Yeah, that's crazy to think. Yeah, that was already done. And it's just it's weird because like I was kind of surprised, just like shit, like most of that cast actually aged really well. Yeah, they did. Yeah. And they all had, generally, almost everybody in that cast had success. It's funny thing about signing DVDs, because I did see at some Monster Palooza that Jenna Elfman's going to be there. I saw that this morning, and I was like, what the fuck horror thing is Jenna Elfman? You're the Walking Dead, which I had no idea, because I have... Who watches I, that show? I watched the first You season. don't watch Fear the... I watched the first season, and first two seasons, and I actually did enjoy How many it seasons does that show I don't have? know, that's the problem, is I never watched anything past the first couple, so I mean, I'm guessing it's on four or five now. Oh my god. Alright, audience, be- please, 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 I mean, they're starting a third Walking Dead. Has Fear the Walking Dead really been on for more than three fucking years? Yeah, it was started in 2015 or 16. I don't know who the fuck watches this show. I never hear anybody go... God, I love Fear the Walking Dead. The fear that people have Talking Dead podcast shirts. Oh, I don't know. Or, or show shirts. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I've heard the Walking Dead conventions, those uh, Walker Stalker things, are like going out of business, too. Well, yeah, but that's also because eventually, I mean, that's inevitable because it's just like, I mean, look how fast. Um, I mean, you look at like the most revered shows the last few years, um, Sons of Anarchy. Boardwalk Empire. Uh, Sons of Anarchy was a really good It was show. a great show. It yeah. was the only show I've ever binged every yeah. time. But I mean, I want to say like in terms of plummet, like look at Game of Thrones. Oh, how fast yeah, that went yeah. downhill. And it's like, you know, I mean, those people have probably got like a year or two now because the box set will be coming out. There are people who are still fans. But I mean, for people who think Game of Thrones is like Harry Potter or oh, something, no, dude. You're, it's, you're in, it's the, uh, over. You're in like, the wrong uh, speculative market there. Cause no, it's done. we went to the San Diego Comic Con. You know, Game of Thrones extended like a couple months ago. It's like zero presence. I mean, they had like, they had a panel that was like, yeah, I heard. Yeah, they went from like being in you know, the Hall H to being in like one of the smallest rooms or something. And it's just like nobody cares anymore, you know? And it's like, you know, I'm not going to diss the show for, you know, 
I, I mean, clearly the ending didn't make a lot of people happy. It didn't make me happy, but it's the ending, and I'm not going to go bitch about it like, you know, people are like, oh, at least the next Star Wars movie is going to, like, erase everything in the last one we didn't like. I don't, I'm not a fan of fan service. You should have, like, if you have a vision for your ending, fine, stick it, stick yeah. to it, even if it doesn't make people happy. That's something I strongly agree with. It's because I, I'm tired of people. I mean, it's like, I mean, I, and it's not just, um, it's not just the fan service and respect of things, but it's also like the whole, it's like people want something and then they're like, if it doesn't turn out exactly the way they want, then they don't realize that eventually it's never going to be there. Yeah. Like, I'm not a, I mean, I played him when I was young, but, like, the whole Sonic the Hedgehog thing. Like, to me, it's like, well, now you know there's never going to be another Sonic movie. Because oh, yeah. They already just wait. The, the money they probably could have put another 40, 50, 60 million dollars into the next one, even if it was, like, direct-to-video or a Netflix deal, it's over. Because yeah. they've just sunk everything in, and everyone's like, well, I hate it. And it's like, well, you know, that, and that's part of the reason we've talked, obviously, in our past Cult following episodes and other things about why uh, video game movies have so many problems. Yeah, it's because of fan service. It's the biggest issue to it. Yeah, if you're if you're gonna option a certain property, either go one hundred percent, ignore it completely, and or you need to be faithful to it because the people who play video games specifically or read books invest you know dozens or hundreds of hours into reading these things. It's a much deeper investment than reading a comic book. You know what I'm saying? And, and like, you're fucking with people's imaginary lives there, and that's going to be something that they're not going to let go that easily. Yeah, which, I mean, you know, like I said, it can be on its own argument itself, but I just feel like when you're talking about, like I said, these kind of things that, um, you know, it's, I, I don't know how to put it exactly into words, because it's difficult. Because, like I said, I'm a fan. And I want to, you know, be, uh, it's kind of like here, like something like we were talking about, like scary stories. Yeah. You have such a dedicated fan base of this. People are like, this is my childhood. Yeah. And so they're going to be so adamant about the way it should be. But there's no, there's not only not 100% a right way to do it, but it also comes back to like all those things you're talking about, like a comic book movie or a video game movie. Yeah. When you have such an immense universe, it's like, how can it, how can it succeed? Where everybody's expectations yeah. are met and everyone's satisfied. It's just not possible. Well, I mean, there's a certain, there's also this thing of like a, a lot of uh, authors now, like, well, I'm going to do an adaptation of my story and I'm going to change the movie version because I already did the book version. Now I'm just going to have fun with the movie because the book already exists. And that's a dangerous, slippery slope, too, because most of the people who are following you the movie or the TV show are fans of the book. So when or when you change it, you're just like going to alienate people who might have gone to the book or people who are already fans of the book and are going to go into seeing the movie. I mean, the, the most recent one, which is funny to me, was um they just put out, the, a DC animated just put out Hush, right? Yeah. And they completely changed the ending. And I haven't heard one one person or critic who's happy with the change they made. You know, where it's like, yeah, we're just going to change who Hush is completely in the movie. Yeah. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. I, mean, I do know it just came out. But, I mean, I think that that's one that has its own rabid fan base. I yeah. mean, people are always like, how, why, how are there so many of these DC animated movies? And I said, because they have a huge following. I mean, yeah. a massive fan base. And, um, you know, it, it's just 
that's one thing that DC has always gotten right, that they uh, built their, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, sketched out their universe a lot more, uh, build it in because they have supplemental elements. Yeah. Because they don't just make, you know, oh, God, we're going to put out at least two tentpole movies this year. Yeah. I mean, so it's just a different way of doing it. They've done well on movies this year. Clearly, they're no Marvel, but most most people are fans who are fans of the media product or fans of the cartoons and the TV shows where they smoke Marvel like completely, yeah. you know. But it's kind of like when you get back though, like to that idea, like you're talking about, like fear, like fear of the Walking Dead. Yeah. Well, it's like, well, Walking Dead just ended the comic series. Yeah. Which originally it was it ended on issue 192. And originally, Kirkman said, well, I'm going to do 500 issues or whatever. It's yeah. 1,000 issues. You know, I'll keep going for 20, 30 years. I have all these um, you know, scripts and all this sketched out, and it's kind of like, or, or, you know, penciled in. And then you go, well, here we are at the cusp of it just crested 15 years as well. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, you have a huge a show that's obviously failing now. It's not yeah. doing the numbers it used to. Then you got one spinoff that never really clicked with people, but did obviously enough numbers to justify its continued existence. And then another spinoff that who knows? Well, I mean, and then there's the mothership, which like leads, um, you know, showrunners like other shows like you know, fire like extras. I mean, I've never heard of a situation like The Walking Dead where they like fired that many showrunners and stayed. Pop, you know, popular and profitable. True. But a big thing too is that their whole thing with AMC was, you know, we're gonna take risk, and then it's like Into the Badlands. Yeah, and we're gonna hope that people watch. And it sucks because Into the Badlands was a really good show, way never, better than Walking Dead. Uh, I never watched it. You should. It's on Netflix. Yeah, and I got mad. I watched like a season and a half, and I'm like, fuck, I'm mad that I watched this now because it ends in like I only got a season more of this, like. They did heavy world building thinking it was going to click, and it's like, nope. So I kind of felt like shit. I was hoping it would just be like fun martial arts, and then it's like, nope, but there's all this post-apocalyptic world building. Yeah, but that's that was the thing. People watched the trailers and were like, well, either, you know, I'm not really into martial arts yeah. and stuff. And so the, it, it's, it doesn't have, you know, that was something. It's kind of like saying, you know, even though there's something like Deadwood, yeah. The Western isn't something that, you know, I mean, it would take an immense amount of work to really bring that back full, yeah. full steam. I don't even think another Tombstone or Unforgiven or say anything like that, where it kind of had that revival in the early 90s, no. Young Guns and stuff, it's coming back anytime soon. You, you well, have I mean to that, make a... Well, I mean, that tells you, the, I mean, Quentin Tarantino makes, like, Westerns every few years, and, after, yeah. and they his make money, but it's not like anyone else tries to pick up that baton, it's just like... Oh, that's just the thing he does. Well, I mean, that's the biggest, you know, a big, obviously, we both saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. And one of the biggest things to that is, obviously, it's, you know, lamenting the dying days of, yeah. you know, these, these you know, um, uh, genres that are just, they're gone. They're yeah. On television and in film, they're just, and if they are around, they're, it's the, the um, um, dawn of exploitation. Because yeah. it can be made and done so much cheaper and easier. Mm. So now they don't care. Well, yeah, and that's going to happen to everything. I mean, fuck. Like, I watched The Boys on Amazon, and that's I, that's better graphics writing and, you know, story oh, material than most fucking superhero movies I've seen in the past five years. Well, The Boys is one of the ones that got me back into comics, like, yeah. ten plus years ago. So I was ecstatic to see it, and it delivered. And it's, like, yeah. one of the first ones. And it's, like, 
well, you know, I, I'm always going to have Prime. I'm always going to have Amazon. Yeah. But this is the kind of series I would have got Amazon Prime if I didn't. Uh, oh, yeah. If I didn't have Well, it. and it's like one of those things where, like, you know, when you're reading the comic or whatever, there's always, like, a thing where it's like, well, the boys is kind of like Watchmen, but you're never getting that vibe. You're watching this like, oh, shit, it is a lot like Watchmen. Exactly. Yeah. You know, but, yeah, overall, I mean, like. You know, we've been kind of jumping around a lot. Well, but no, but it all, I it think all that's comes good. Back to it's the conversational. Same, yeah, yeah. But it also comes back to the same thing. It's just that in the end, what you're talking about is, um, you know, part of the reason anthologies exist is because it's a way in which it, it's part of the dawn. Of, I mean, it's not, I mean, obviously, uh, especially in terms of horror anthologies being the most popular, is because a lot of horror stories cannot sustain a running yeah. time of over that's why some of the best 80s movies especially like slashers are yeah. 77 minutes 82 minutes you know can barely just make it even the best films are short well um, i remember i still think the the short version of saw is better than the actual movie the yeah. one that lee that um lee Wan l directed yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, the salads. Yeah, there's, but it, that's what I mean. But even like you know, people forget like Halloween is short. It had to have yeah. a television version with additional footage. Yep. And um, I I think that people, so did Halloween too. I think yes, it did. Yeah. Um, but I think it's just one of those things where people forget that uh, you know, it, I mean, I think of I think the first um, major one was uh, Dead of Night, and that's 1932. I want to say 32. It's actually or no 19. 19- I think it's forty five. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. My apologies. I don't just sit there and browse IMDb. We're 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 steering away from that. Yeah. But anyways, you don't want you want to listen to us talk. You yeah. don't want to listen to us hum while we look mm, shit up on the internet. Look it up. Yeah. Um. But uh, it it was um. It's actually receiving a, a restoration now. Uh, mm. print because obviously the elements are are very antiquated. But I look forward to it. But that's a uh was the first like horror anthology film, I think ever. And then, obviously, you had, like, Amicus and the British studios that did work in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Um, and then you, you know, you kind of had that era of Tales from the Dark Side, Tales from the Crypt um, in shows. And then there was always movies, too. Yeah. Um, many of them based on those kinds of things. Like, obviously, a great one is, like, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. But it's because they, um, those, that environment stuff. I mean, two of the first big ones I think of in, um my childhood number one is the willies which was you know something i always remember the box art more anything and that's a it's a jumbled mess of an anthology in respect that it it juts all over the place um but it was it was it made a big impact because that was kind of who i was as a kid you know it's very um it's tweenish but then it's also like super dark and fucked up but it kind of goes all over the place which is why i think people liked it um but i just feel like you know um because i was reading stuff like fear street um, yeah at the same time that i was reading like stephen king so i wanted something more mature but then at the same time when i was watching stuff or i was watching it with friends like a bunch of friends together for a sleepover yeah you know people would get bored watching movies unless it had like um it wasn't something like you were saying like it's something you weren't supposed to be watching which a lot of horror movies you weren't but if it was something that was obviously like a Willie's, which I believe was PG thirteen, you could watch it and no one was really checking in on you. Yeah. And then maybe you snuck another tape out too. Sometimes you could do that. Again, if you had like an older brother or sister or something to help you, 
depending on who picked it up. But I mean, that was, um, you know, you'd have like a balance or if you ran a video game that night and stuff. So I think that like, um, when I think of something like scary stories and stuff, it's um, even if you didn't have a connection to it, it's it's obviously that's the primary audience. But the other is the individual is trying to say, look, we're going to create. Hmm, don't I you know don't want to say the term like world building because yeah. it's not that it's a very limited um, scale, scope, but then it has endless possibilities. Yeah, because you only most of the stories and scary stories you tell in the dark are no more than two pages. Mm-hmm. Some are a page, a half a page. So because they're um they're folkloric, they are yeah. very short, meant to be told as like an oral tradition, and they were told as an yeah, oral tradition. Yeah, kind of like this. Like say like the the story that John Candy tells about the bear and the great outdoors. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and well, and that was I mean that was the thing in a lot of um, um, uh, Quint's story in Jaws. Oh is yeah, yeah. Terrifying. Mm-hmm. It, it's one of the the scariest stories ever. It's just it's things like that that I mean um, people are drawn to that especially now that's we're probably the last generation that really experienced that. I mean I don't think maybe. Maybe millennials to like a, an early point, but I highly doubt it. Yeah. Because they were fixated the Game Boy Color or whatever, advance, and they had, you know, by the time you had portable systems. But like when I was on road trips, my mother read books like Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. She read books like, um, you know, those kind of like books like you were talking about. Almost with some would be like stories of uh, Bigfoot or something like that. You know, she'd find things like that and. uh I think that's what, you know, people, you get excited to hear it, especially if you had somebody who was a good storyteller. I was lucky. Both my parents were really good storytellers. Yeah. So it was, I was able to like become invested. Um, and that's, I mean, any good movie, book, TV, everything is, is about video games. It's all about a good story generally. Yeah. But anthologies, it's, it's not that you have to have the best story. You just have to have enough stories and, that will draw you in. And so that's the thing. I mean, like some like scary stories, you get a few and it's going to become like, uh, like most things. It's like, well, which, what do you think was the strongest story? What do you think was the weakest? And what do you think? And the thing in scary stories for those who haven't seen it is that unlike most anthologies where the wraparound is very intermittent, it's like a 10 minute running time for the whole thing. Yeah. The, the, the wraparound is the story. Yeah. So it's it's kind of an inverted uh, it, it, style. Yeah, it kind of felt like, you know, sort of like, uh, I guess the easiest way, almost like a video game. Like, a you know, bit, like, yeah. you're these characters, and every time you hit a story, it was almost like you were hitting the boss for that level. Or, like, you're playing a role-playing game, and you're, like, playing that character until you get to that character's boss or something. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. That's the only way I can like cogently explain it. I mean, it, it's yeah, the wraparound t- or, or like Jumanji, true. Or something. Yeah, it could yeah. be a little bit Jumanji. Yeah, it's like oh, or yeah, because you're like you know they throw you in this world and every once in a while you're gonna. Well, it doesn't work because Jumanji's not real. Let's say Silent Hill or something. Wait, back to the video game. It's like <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. here's the thing you recognize from the video game. Well, that too. Well, yeah. and this was a big service is that the designs of the creatures overall are real, um, are uh, very true to the, the counterparts. I mean, it's yeah. Stephen Gamble's artwork is what was so, the tales were dark, 
but it's kind of like a Hansel and Gretel thing, or a, what do you call it, um, Hans Christian Andersen, or the, uh, I'm sorry, what was the other one off the top of my head, Brothers Grimm. Yeah, yeah. The other folk tales and stuff, which is, uh, is a very deep connection to anthology, because these are old tales, like, yeah. uh, what do you call it, When a Stranger Calls is the other one I was thinking of, where it's not an anthology, but it is a movie based on a folk tale, an urban legend. Um, so those types of things. So with scary stories, what they were trying to do is, yeah, it's a fan service. Again, lean back to that. Yeah. But for somebody like yourself who was never into it, it's just kind of like, if you never seen any of these things, mm-hmm. did they? You know, does it scare you? Does it uh, well, intimidate you? Does I, it? Yeah. Like I don't like. I haven't read the book. Like so. I mean, I don't. I don't really think the setting or time of the of the of the uh story matters but i thought it was actually really clever that they set it in 1968 by kind of putting it in a place where like a place in time where kids would be really into reading scary stories and of course it always solves the age-old problem like how do we get these kids off their phone in the movie that's true you know but i'm like it just doing that was creating a mood in a time like one of the weirdly enough one of the things i thought they did that was like really clever that i you know there were a lot of younger people at the screening i was at and i'm sure like maybe like i'll i'll say like 10 or 15 people max probably even understood the reference was having the uh dj on the radio be wolfman jack yeah, yeah, like American Graffiti. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, you're saying this, like, oh, this is an innocent time in America. Like, that's what that invokes to me. Yeah. It evokes to me, you know. And I know that they, like, you know, they didn't have him howl or anything, but clearly that guy was supposed to be Wolfman Jack. Well, yeah, it's an, it's a yeah. common trope in these kind of movies that yeah. set in these time periods yeah. to eat, give him a gruffer voice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that kind of cadence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's, yeah, that's true. It's a great point. Um, and obviously, I mean, I think some people probably were really surprised they didn't put it in the early 80s when the story came out, especially with, like, the success of Stranger Things and It. Yeah. But again, I think the 80s I, thing is an overload. I will say, if they had set the story in the 80s with all the kids on their bikes and the walkie-talkies, I'm sure a bunch of people would have been like, Stranger Things rip off. Yeah, exactly. Even yeah. though that was what most of our childs were like in like, the eighties. Well, I'll just tell you this: like, I just watched um, the Good Boys. Uh, yeah, a yeah, few days ago, up. and like, literally, like they're riding around their bikes at one point. One of the characters, like, "Hey, Stranger Things, get the fuck out of here!" You know, yeah. well, because it's become and that's real it's, weird. It's becoming to think a trope of. now. Yeah, which yeah. is bizarre, but well, it's kind of like if you see kids in a, you know, if you replace a film like our heyday in arcades like somewhere in the late 80s early 90s like like when we were into fighting games you yeah. know but people would be linking now like stranger things and it's like there's no fucking stranger things playing mortal yeah. Kombat or street fighter or samurai showdown or something it just was like what you did yeah because until those games had console ports and even their console ports weren't as good as the game so people were into it um yeah i I mean realistically like we still haven't gotten to a point in movies yet where they're like accurately representing i think our you know our childhoods you know maybe like the early end of it but like you know you know most of us are like 90s kids you know yeah well a big part of it when people get into the 80s and stuff is is that 
I think it just depends on where you live. Like where you live, your childhood and stuff. Like you talked about on the podcast, like being near video stores and yeah. movie theaters and stuff. Like I wasn't near any of those things as a kid. I grew up very rural. Yeah. So it was a very different experience for me. But like I would watch movies and I'm like, oh my god, I wish I, you know, was that close to uh, an arcade or something right like, you know the only time we got to play arcade games the only one that happened in town was the two pizza places yeah that was a huge part of their business they must have paid the rent on just on sometimes right on arcades oh i believe it yeah. I mean, like i was just talking about this when somebody posted about how they were shutting down um all the pizza huts where you can you know sit down and eat because pizza hut just wants to be essentially a delivery only business you know which is what domino's is i don't ever remember domino's having seating for no yeah do i but like uh straight up i remember like yeah pizza hut was like the sit down fast food franchise and there was one where i was growing up that like you know clearly was the one where all the little league teams would go after their games and they had a giant fucking arcade in the back like i mean like literally anytime i think that place has an arcade in my mind. It has to have at least 10 to 15 games, you know, and they had a straight up arcade, you know, it was all fighting games like Konami Simpsons, Konami X-Men, you know, that's the big multiplayer or the like, uh, and if they had the money or the space, they would do the sit down games, Sims racing, uh, Star Wars arcade, that kind of stuff. Yeah. They had like one of those. I don't remember because I never played those games, but like, yeah. Yeah. But you know, that's, that's exactly to me in my mind, if a place had more than one Konami multiplayer game and had like a Neo Geo MVS machine and street fight, at least one street fighter, like, I'm like, okay, clearly, like, they've got money. But this they also had, like, you know, they had, like, two MVS machines. They had Street Fighter and Super Street Fighter and Champion Edition, you know. Yeah, yeah. They knew where their bread was buttered. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, you know, just the way it is. I and mean, we only had Godfathers, which, I mean, it's, strangely, there was one here in Mesa. I remember when I moved here. But, I mean, it's long gone. But, I mean, it only had a few games. Yeah. When I was a kid, like, really young. It was like Dragon's Lair and Gauntlet and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it was just that, you know, you just didn't have a lot of that stuff. And I'm just, like I said, like movies, it's hard to capture that. Putting things in 1968 for a film, it's it's like, you know, people who grew up who would have been kids born in the late 50s um, to early 60s who might be there. You know, you're growing up in the Cold World era, Cold War era. You are... Um, you know, it's weird because it's like a small town, but then it looks way too big at the same yeah. time in this movie. Um, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, I always have an issue with stuff that with like um, political and historical accuracy, which they play up a lot in this movie is the, like Nixon. Yeah. And a lot of it is like, okay, this is pre-Watergate Nixon. I mean, he was Tricky Dick. That was his nickname. Yeah. Like 13, I mean, before even the Kennedy uh um presidency when they ran against each other but i'm just it's one of those things where i'm like man they're putting way too much of nixon oh, vietnam trying to make it, make was, it, it was this very thing. loaded because yeah. like the whole the whole movie takes place like i'm guess yeah it was like right it's halloween so it's right before election day, day that's the whole point like yeah. humphrey johnson and yeah and uh nixon, nixon which i don't think lb did LBG even run for re-election? Yeah, he did. Yeah, it was it was a three-way. Yeah, you're actually watching on screen, and the there's the sheriff's office yeah. where he makes the point. 
But what I'm saying is people, I mean, it was like all political um, yeah. stuff was very, I mean, of course it was the no, news of it, the day. It yeah. was just one of those it things where It was just there to dot the eyes to try to say, like, see, see, folks, the, this time was just like now. And yeah, that's Nixon's what I mean. It's just like Trump. And I get it. Like, I get it. it. Like, to me, it was like hitting you over the head with it. Like, I'm not fucking stupid. But that's like, what I mean. But at the same time, I also thought the reason it was there, it's like, it's 1968 by throwing in some social commentary they're trying to kind of like say like look it's like paying some kind of homage to romero yeah which of course is the big hallmark of the, the date and time yeah. you know of course it is and you know night of the living dead yeah made i mean which we've already referenced on this podcast because it is it is the, the when we talked about our zombie episode I mean, it's so important and that's the thing is is that i mean it's I don't know. I mean, I guess, like I said, I just have issues with those because I, I can see the pros or the, the possibilities of it or why it was put in, but it just felt so heavy-handed I, yeah. that I just couldn't personally get into it. Like, it detracted from the quality of the film for me. I will say... Oh, go no, on. No, go finish. ahead. Go ahead. No, no, please. I Yeah, I, I don't think it was necessary because, like I said, it was trying to interject something from the now and then, and I'm not saying that those issues aren't important. I will say... Or that they didn't happen yeah, then, because that's not true. They no. did. But I will say the thing I thought was done really well, and I wish they'd kind of played up a little bit more on if they wanted to talk about issues of patriotism and stuff, and they do to a certain degree, but I feel like putting in the presidential stuff kind of took away from it was um, the draft dodging Yeah, thing. exactly. They I did that, that, that really great. well. Yeah, I thought that was great. Yeah. Especially with the uh, Me Tai Dottie Walker, which is actually yeah. my favorite story from uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. The version they did, I didn't like as much, but um, you know, felt a little mid mid aughts, uh, like that. Yeah, it was... Legion, uh, the unborn, unbo- uh, all those stories with the people twisting and stuff, where people are like, yeah. "Oh, that's what scares me," and it's like, okay. Yeah, I wasn't. I was not a fan of that character. One, because I was like, I don't know what the fuck Meetai Doty Walker. Well, means. the whole thing about the Meetai Doty Walker thing is. Excuse me. It's like a it's a folk legend again, but the whole point of it was that the thing about Mitai Dotty Walker is is that you he the creature says it, and then you're supposed to reply something. He doesn't say things like coward or any of that kind of stuff, and that wasn't a problem of making a connection because I like the whole idea yeah. like um, my brother came back in pieces, and yeah. then it's like that's well, fine, yeah, that was a good tie. Yeah, it's a good falling time, apart. Um, but then it's but that's not the way the story is very yeah. simplistic and that's from all these stories are simplistic and the only one that comes across pretty much exactly the way it is in the movies i mean the the herald the scarecrow one and the the red spot are because they're the most um pedestrian yeah that's the red spot felt very um goosebumpy to me um well, the I, whole movie kind of. Well, is. yeah, I mean, and the big I thought it was, was better than than that. I liked. I honest, I did like the thing with the girl being thrown back, kind of in time, and kind of experiencing what the Bellows girl went through. Yeah, I like that part too. You know, because that felt more like um, like Crimson Peakish or something. Like well, I a thought gothic were, horror. I thought they were going to go full Shining in the yeah. first time when the kid gets trapped in the room. Yeah, and like looks out and it's you know back in the turn of the century yeah i was like that's a great concept i always think those work well but the the the, the issue is is kind of like you said it's like it's goosebumpy and goosebumps and are you afraid of the dark are the hallmark anthologies of the 90s well and here's here's my big thing with it like who who is the audience for this movie i don't think i'm the audience for this movie 
is this like aimed at kids and they just marketed it toward adults that's kind of the vibe i got well i think of like so we're at two goosebumps movies the first one i actually thought was pretty good yeah i actually really did enjoy it the second one was just you know it was very very um you know way too juvenile and just not very good i mean it just wasn't a good story um and then the uh <clears throat> what was it you know i heard they're gonna make an are you afraid of the dark movie they're gonna remake the series and all this yeah. stuff and are you afraid of the darkest one of those things a good they anthology. Just, yeah they just can't i don't think they can ever recapture that um and i've seen some other stories or other um uh anthologies that they've tried to do there was one that was a, i think a british series on netflix I just can't remember the name on the top of my head, but I watched it um, a year year or so ago. But it just, I mean, it was okay, but it wasn't great. It was just, you know, again, it's because I'm watching it through, I'm being 40, trying to imagine it through like an an 11-year-old. And that's what you're saying. Like, So for someone who's being 40 and watching this movie, Scary Stories, they're watching it because they're going, well, you know, this is a part of my childhood, and I'm willing to give it a chance. Because, you know, I hold these characters and stories um, close to me. So I'll go watch it. But in terms of, like, building a new fan base, I just don't see it really happening. Yeah. The movie obviously isn't doing bad. I mean, it's making its money back and probably will and then some. I mean, yeah, it's clearly set up for a sequel. Yeah, Yeah. but I just don't know how they can really, um, you know, like, how they can have a lot of success with this. Because it's just, it's not a bad movie. It's not a good movie. It's, um... It's almost like I said, I'd rather grade it as an anthology film. And as an anthology film, I like the idea of that instead of making the wraparound the wraparound, it's the entire story. Yeah. They're involved, with, like you were saying, like a Jumanji, whatever way you want to look at, like an immersive experience. Yeah. But that's its downfall, too, because even though these stories were really, really short, and so people go, well, then it's a perfect. Um, method to administer them and to bring them to life it's also its downfall because a couple of stories were strong enough that they could have been much more um developed and even if it was taking it from five minutes to ten minutes then you'd have four or five stories you already have 40 minutes of your movie you know it's interesting to me because i kept thinking a few years ago they wanted to give um guillermo del toro or at least he was pitching for it i don't know where where it ended up you, you know, like, I want to do a Haunted Mansion movie. You know, how they did a Pirates of the Caribbean one, and the mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy one didn't work out because it didn't touch on anything from, from the ride. Yeah. Watching this movie afterwards, one of the things I thought is, like, if Guillermo del Toro did make a Haunted Mansion movie, this is pretty much exactly what it would be like. Yeah, probably pretty similar. Yeah, like, instead of, like, you know, there'd be, like, a part where, like, oh, the Hatbox Ghost or madame leota or something just be like little things but there'd be a wraparound story about kids breaking into a haunted mansion or something like that so like i feel like this is like what he perceived like you know as a producer like you know like oh i'm gonna get the parents to bring in the kids and this will become a tradition or something um but like you know like i feel like like watching it i'm like it feels like a kid's movie it's engaging enough for an adult, but like I don't know that I would. I mean, I thought the main girl the did a really good job. You know, yes, like, I really enjoyed her. Yeah, like she kind of had like a uh, you know Thora Birch meets um, Ellen Page kind of yeah, thing that's what going I was gonna on say too. Yeah, she's yeah. got a real uh, you know 
far too intelligent for obviously her environment yeah. and stuff but but yeah she i thought she was really interesting and i thought her story like of all the kids i thought she was the most interesting i thought like the other kids like especially chuck i found him really fucking annoying yeah he was very very annoying and then the whole like augie thing it's like it's an interesting idea in the respect of that kind of era of that you know kind of the dawn of women's liberation and stuff and the changing of households and stuff yeah. that maybe a mother really would have absconded with her lover or something for the weekend left their kids. Yeah. But I, um, I don't know. Like I said, they weren't the best characters. It wasn't the best story. Um, it just wasn't, it's just not the best movie. And then as a, like an anthology and stuff, like I said, it's just one of those things where it's like, if it didn't have the connection to scary stories, people would probably be like, I really like the creature design or I thought it was very inventive yeah. or interesting. But, but then yeah. then they would also but that's the thing about it. it's only two of the creatures are really interesting because the scarecrow is very generic kind of style. Although really that was the one that got me that like the the way they did it where he was coughing up straw. Oh like, no, I that his... like grossed me out. No, like, I like weirdly his... enough. For not for this movie not being gory at all or having any blood. I will say that was like, ugh. And also well, that, the, the, the thing with Augie with the toe, you know? Yeah. Well, that was, I mean, that was one of the scariest images ever in the yeah. uh, the original books. And the way they display it, I just wish they had been much slower to show that creature. Um, Like, when it came up the yeah. stairs, I wish they had done more, like, jump cuts to, you know, and paste it out a little bit better. But, um, and I love the creature is also the one with um Chuck. It's. I like the idea of it, like being this amorphous, sexless, like creature that absorbs yeah. you. Like that's kind of terrifying in a way. Mm-hmm. Like I, I like it. Also, it's um. What do you call it? His inevitability, his doom. That he's yeah. like. I, I like those kind of things, but I just didn't. In the end, it's like yeah, it has things I like. Like if I found this for five dollars in a Blu-ray bin, I'd probably buy it just yeah. to watch certain parts again. But overall, like, do I, you know, I, anthologies, I guess that's why I hit so hard on it, are, like, one of my three favorite subgenres. Yeah. I love anthologies, I love psychological horror, and I love, like, horror comedies. And I'll, I'll throw slashers in there, too. So I kind of have a little bit in every pot, and I just feel like um, why anthologies work so well, again, as we kind of talked about, too, in, like, short stories is because most of these things, people try to flesh them out and they lose all their, uh, you know, they're no longer potent. Yeah. And the problem with this thing is, also it was a little too long. It was an hour and 48 minutes. And I yeah. think it was a little too too much. Yeah. I, I, sometimes you can do more with less, but like, you know, so I think that's sometimes the issue when uh, you have kind of like a horror movie and a lot of people involved who are really into the effects. It becomes a little too precious. True. I also kind of just wanted to drag me to hell ending in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really the happy did. ending was just there to set up sequels. I think sometimes you don't have to set up the sequel every fucking time. Which is stupid because you don't have to have the same characters. There's nobody here that is. She's probably the best character and you really don't even need her. Because it's just like in the end what it comes down to is the book is the central character. Yeah. The stories are. So you can keep making this into different stuff forever. Unfortunately, I think they fell into that whole Resident Evil trap of like, oh, this girl we created is the star, so we'll just twist all the movies to fit into this narrative we're creating. 
all the stories in the book to fit into this narrative we're creating. Well, yeah. Well, he didn't marry the girl in the movie yet either, so yeah. you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Paul W.S. Anderson. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, in the end, it's not bad stuff. I mean, like I said, when we talk about, like, anthology films, I mean, you know, it's... To me, it's like the Amicus films are, are like the hallmark for me, and then a lot of the other movies, it's just... I, I like everything. I mean, I enjoy, like I mentioned, Tales from the Dark Side, The Willies. There's a lot of great horror anthologies. But again, it's it's always going to be a matter of um, a case of some are stronger than others. And that's mm-hmm. what it is. It becomes a balancing act. Yeah. Um, there was a couple newer ones in the last few, like Campfire Tales, I enjoy. Which is also heavy on urban legends and stuff. But it's... Um, you know, it's just, it's it's harder to find now. Yeah. Because most people are afraid to make them because people, you'd think with this, like, lack of attention span generation, they'd be more successful. Yeah. But then I think it's kind of like you were saying, people are so fan-based and obsessive about their universe building that they're like, oh, it's too short. There's not enough to build from. Yeah, so then, you know, they invest more in the wraparound. I mean, honestly, that's true of a lot of things. I mean... I think half the reason people like Tales from the Hood is because they like the creepy funeral home wraparound. Well, yeah, it's a great... Well, because, uh, you know, he's just so over the top, Clarence Wright the yeah. Third. But Tales from the Hood is a great one, too. But, I mean, it's like... And they tried, like I said, like you were saying, like adapting into a modern age is something like VHS. Yeah. Which is, you know, I, I was kind of going through... This is one I adapt to. I mean, obviously, the mother of them all uh, in the modern age is trick-or-treat. I feel like an idiot for yeah. not mentioning it earlier, but it's just kind of like um in Creep Show, which is gained its um, you know, revival. Um, you know, a, a lot of people are coming back to like St- of course Stephen King is always a, a standard issue, but people I noticed a lot of people with the reissue on Blu ray of Cat's Eye who yeah. maybe missed that or were alerted to because people always think of the story with Drew Barrymore, but it's like the the Quitters Inc. is hard as hell that's got to be one of the toughest damn sequences but i mean you know and they're finding old black and white stuff like black sabbath or black sunday and yeah uh, you know or you know which is not an anthology but black sabbath is and i mean um another inventive one was abc's of death Eh. no in terms of trying to do something different with anthology yeah yeah i think I think the issue with ABCs of Death is there's too many letters in the alphabet, so you're just going to get too many mediocre entries. Well, they also were... I mean, that's why, like, I, the Field Guide to Evil isn't even that good. I, mean, I still haven't seen it. It's on Amazon. Yeah, I've been meaning to watch it and stuff. Um, you know, I was thinking of some of the ones that have gotten reissues recently, like uh, Monster Club on Blu-ray. Of course, Shout Factory's Body Bags Treatment. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's just because of the, the, the mammoth nature of john carpenter it's a great one i think that's my favorite mark hamill performance of all time because he genuinely scares the shit out of me in that like i think he's so unhinged it's just crazy i i love him in that but i mean you know i don't know i, I was like cre- creeping through i mean there's well, just so yeah, many other ones yeah and then i'm looking forward to the like the new creep show you know which should be interesting yeah i'm really psyched on that one um you know i mean it's not dead I even thought recently of uh, I know we both enjoyed Southbound. That yeah. was another one that you know is is a newer one, and I mean it's totally. I think it's possible. Tales of Halloween. Um, I like that. Even though I wasn't a huge fan of XX, I you know, I mean I'm just kind of spitballing yeah, off some different I liked, ideas. You uh, know, my favorite one in XX was the one with um, 
the girl from House of the Devil, and then her dad was in a cult. Yes. I don't remember what it was called, but that was my favorite one. And then the one uh, Yovanka did that had the, um, the kids. Oh, you're not thinking of Holidays, are you? No. This oh, is oh I'm trying to remember what Yovanka did. Like, basically, her the kids stopped eating because a guy tells the kids something on a bus. Then the, oh, yes, yes, yes. It's hard for me to remember because I was trying yeah. to remember because Holidays is another big one because yeah. I love the one where the girl goes to the abandoned town looking for her father. No, maybe that is in that, Holidays. That is yeah, in Holidays. you know what? Yeah, that's the yeah. one. The, that was Yeah, so that was my favorite one in Holidays. The, my the, my favorite one in uh, XX was the one Yovanka did where, and it's the mom from The Strain. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah that was the one. Yeah, I, I still think the weakest one in XX was St. Vincent's where it's like it feels like a shitty music video where the dad dies on the kid's birthday and they put she puts his body in a oh, panda, panda suit, suit. Yep, yeah yep. Uh, i did not care for that one don't and worry way we, didn't, too we didn't stylized we didn't spoil anything it's no. just genuinely awful we're just saying the premise like literally that's the premise and it doesn't really get any better yeah i mean i think i mean obviously like the other thing too with like trick-or-treat is as a perfect wraparound and they created a central character that's a mask guy's an icon yeah. now in sam and that only took i mean that's a movie that's only 12 years old right and i mean it wasn't even released till 10 years ago so yeah. it, it, it's crazy thing uh like i said i think tales of halloween's really underrated um but yeah i mean i i chill around that's another one i love doing a new sam figure yeah i, I know saw that, that took san a while. diego con yeah it's really good and I know I just I have a couple birthdays ago I got you the Blu-ray of Two Evil Eyes, yeah, which is another great idea to just do two stories and make them nearly feature length to let two exceptional directors flex their might. And I think that's another great idea. Like I said, it's just hard to get it right in in uh, anthologies. And so I mean I'm sorry to say Scary Stories isn't one that got it perfectly right, but it's not all yeah. wrong either. So I mean I don't know. I, I feel like that that's, you know, I, I really, the problem with discussing anthologies to me is, is that we can go on for hours and hours talking about our favorite segments from them. Right. But what I want to get to, like, where I was spitballing all those ones is more like, because um, I want to hear from the audience and stuff. I'd love to hear what your favorite segments were or favorite anthologies. Like, please post, let us know. Um, maybe we can elaborate on a future episode or something like that. But what I really would like you know, is is that it, it's uh, an interesting category to take it in two two um, hands. Is that you have it? Do you like it as a whole? Yeah. And do you like it? What individual story is is the strongest, or what is that that makes you like that? Because very few people I know ever say overall they love an anthology. Right. They're always focused on a story. That's so kind of, yeah, because or a wraparound. I don't think you can love every story in a anthology because they're all going to be so different in genre. And- focus i do think that that's why um creep show and tail uh trigger tree have become so huge because i don't think there's a weak one either any either of those i even think creep show 2 is flawless a lot of people don't but i think that's why they trimmed the fat on making it from five to three yeah and then they made i like that they did an animated a much more animated wraparound in that um entry because i feel like if they had tried to duplicate it exactly like creep show wouldn't have worked exactly so lots of good stuff, but yeah, please let us know what you your favorite uh, anthology was, and it's kind of where we start with the meat of the matter. But hey, um, sometimes it works out that way. I know we're kind of winding down, but anything else that you? Uh, 
Uh, no, I'm you really just, want to uh, talk about. It, we'll talk about it next time. Yeah, I think most of like the you know like uh, I went to a lot of horror panels at San Diego Con. If you go to our YouTube channel, which is linked on cultfalling.co, I've posted most of them up. Like the old voice of contemporary horror is on there. Um, which you know I, I liked that panel. It wasn't as good as last year's panel, and like uh, Bloomhouse really didn't have anything to say. We saw clips of like little monsters and villains and um there was one uh i really liked um it was uh i just want to get the title right so you're gonna have to um do the daniel isn't real and that's coming out in the fall it's from specter vision and legion m it's the same people put out mandy and the trailer definitely had that like weird cult like it had like a very like a donnie darko meets mandy vibe to it that i thought was really interesting mm-hmm. i don't think there's any trailers for this out yet um they played the trailer for it at the show you can hear the audio on our on the video i posted but i couldn't film the trailer because i guess me and just cut it for like a film festival so we're not allowed to film um not allowed to film trailers because it's that um they had one that's villains which had micah monroe from um it follows and uh bill skarsgård from it and it looks they're like criminals like mm. it felt it felt very much like a uh you know zombie like it doesn't have zombies in it it just kind of felt like zombie land you know mm-hmm. like they're just like kind of like joyriding criminals you know like ah we're stealing shit and shit's happening it didn't feel like a horror movie it felt more like a you know like a well maybe when zombie land uh double tap comes out we can do a horror comedy uh, yeah right review or something um and i i filmed the uh, creep show panel but i haven't posted that yet i'll probably actually have that closer to the show actually debuting awesome um but yeah that was a really good panel i will say that uh you know i i picked up a lot of cool shit at san diego but one of the things like i waited in line to ask a question and then they ran long and didn't give anybody a chance to ask questions um, but everyone who was in line got a copy of the Creepshow comic. Um, you know, and they're like, oh, okay, because, yeah, Heavy Metal made a Creepshow comic. And uh, the Greg Nicotero was, he said he was signing the next day. It wasn't until I ran into Chucky later and he wanted to see it that he opened it up and realized everyone who was on the panel actually signed the comic on the inside cover. Yeah, that's sweet. So that was pretty cool. Um, One awesome thing Victor brought back for me was the uh, Garbage Pail Kids uh, uh gpk universal monster uh mashup that uh super seven did yeah these just look amazing yeah um joe simcoe did a really good job on these like they're like actual like they feel like you know trading cards when i was a kid like hard cardboard um and joe simcoe did a really good job of painting them they look kind of like you know, did you open and steal a sketch or something no, out of here? Um, here's, I'm just giving you shit because it's easy. No, it's weird because um, there's no sketches in them, but like, there's only four different packs. Yeah, I remember you saying that, and it's like weird. I was just like wondering if like that's when I was like, oh shit, this has the six exact same cards as this one. It's very strange. Yeah, it's very cool though. Yeah. They did a they do a really good job with their like I think. Um, I think people kind of fell off on the reaction figures, and yeah. then Super Seven's kind of like really making it making it come back with them, because I think that their designs are just so, their variants are so next level. Yeah, but uh, no, like Very the, cool. the cool thing about excuse me 
is a lot for some reason a lot of people thought these are san diego exclusives they were just making their debut there but um I, you know i got some to sell and it was like you know people like gobbling them up for crazy prices and i'm like these aren't even exclusive like even like when i was buying them i got the last two boxes i'm like don't worry we'll have more like in a couple months you know yeah but it became a big thing in the garbage pelka community like oh my god everything you should know that by yeah. now it's like the absolute insanity of the the community as much as i love the ug and all this stuff i mean there's just insanity like so many other uh, subgenres but uh or communities or lack thereof i don't even know yeah. if you can call them communities sometimes no but, but uh very yeah, good stuff there was a lot of cool stuff there we went to yeah. what what you what we do in the shadows interactive we met the guy who plays um Guillermo, he was super cool. Um, yeah, like what else? I went to the the snow piercer thing they had going on, where you like you know put in your email box and got a ration. It was like a fucking cricket bar, <laughs> like you know really chocolate covered crickets. You know, I didn't Very eat cool. it, but it was cool. Um, and then like uh, yeah, and then we had the Arizona Toy Con a couple weeks ago, and I picked up a bunch of cool stuff there. Yeah, that was really good. I also just, I am going to post a review of it here probably tonight, or by the time you hear this episode, but uh, I went to uh, Game On Expo, mm-hmm. um, which uh, it's in its uh, fourth year here and was a lot of fun, um, or fifth year, God, it's been, but it was probably the best yet, uh, absolutely awesome. Um, on the horror side of thing to relate to the podcast, not heavy, heavy duty, um, uh, what's her name, Jen Taylor was there, who's very famous for a lot of big mainstream shows, Cortana and Halo and uh, Princess Peach. Um, oh. But she also was Zoe in Left for Dead, so I got my copy of Left for Dead autograph. Uh, awesome to see Arizona Hive there. They're the uh, resident evil cosplayers who do uh, a lot of great work for animal uh, uh, care uh, charities. And uh, saw a lot of cool like um, like horror-themed art in the artist alley and stuff. But it was just, you know, it's just a lot of fun. I really enjoy that event. I think it's probably one of the best. Um, I'm a big board game enthusiast, too, and they have some there. But there actually is going to be a, a, a gaming con coming up here in Arizona. So if you're oh, a fan cool. of those. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we're Arizona's finally getting to the point where it's like, you know, we've got, um, you know, uh, ZapCon. We have Mad Monster. We have Phoenix Comic Con. We have Phoenix Sphere Con. We have... Uh, what do you call it? Um, game on. We have, uh, which I just talked about. Um, and then we have this gaming con. We've had film festivals. We've done our own stuff with like monster market for those that came out to that. And we have a lot more coming, but it's just, it's, it's really nice to have so many things where I don't have to go out of state for it. How yeah. about that? It's the easiest way to describe it. Um, so, but, um, yeah, I can't think of too much. The only thing I was going to touch on here, maybe we'll leave this here as our, on, on our way out and stuff was, because I, I know we just mentioned it, but I wanted to quick say two that I didn't, um, not horror movies at all, but two films I saw recently, we both saw, that I found to have some, uh, two really unsettling parts was uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood mm-hmm. with the Spawn Ranch uh, part with, uh, when he goes, I I thought Brad Pitts, I thought that was great tension. Oh yeah, he and then, was uh, really good. And then movie. I... Um, no, we were both big fans of the art of self defense. Oh god, which, that movie was so good, so good. And uh, but it's a really unsettling idea. Oh, it, it's a, it's a really dark comedy, but yeah. it's kind of like uh, to me, it's like almost a more unsettling version of Fight Club. Yeah, well, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. It's like 
it's like if it really and that's another film too where um uh when you talk about dating it to the right time to make sure it uh meets all the metrics for um uh well why the fuck didn't they do this kind of thing um they did it really well with that movie yeah um so i just i highly recommend seeing both while they're still in theaters if you can um like i said not horror but I said, um, but they have some of those ideas that are really well done because they're both very dark movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So worth checking out. For sure. And then uh, we'll, like I said, sorry for the delay. We'll have some new episodes. We're working on some guests. We got a lot of topics here and a lot of events. What's uh, I know on my birthday here, unfortunately, I won't be here, but we are showing the Bernie. Yeah. Yes. So if you're going to be able to make it out. And uh, next Wednesday, we're also, I think, going to be out at the uh, Crescent Ballroom. Oh, for, for Tim uh, Capello. Tim Capello. I will be there for that, though. That'll be a lot of fun. So, uh, that you know, lots of cool events happening on the horizon here. You know, and then you know, up on Cult Falling, uh, Monday we'll have a review of The Nightingale Up, the new movie from Jennifer Kent, the director of The Babadook. Duke, yep. Saw it a couple weeks ago. Very intense movie that I have a lot to say about. Awesome. And uh, Good Boys will have a review of that up this weekend as well. So, cool. And then you can always check out our other podcasts on the network. You know, we've got Boo and Skew Review. They got a new re- they got a new uh, skew of a movie called Sasquatch Massacre, I think, or something like that. It looks uh, pretty crazy. So, uh, you know, they're doing the deep dives over there. So. That they are. Doing excellent work. Uh-huh. So until next time, remember, uh, check out the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash Cult Classics. Everything we do is linked on cultfollowing.co. You can follow us there on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anything you like. All our info is on there. And remember, follow us on Instagram. We're always doing cool giveaways. So you never know what we'll be giving away tickets to in the future. Until next time. I'm Victor Moreno, along with Kirby Nelson. Me, tight Dottie Walker. So until next time, stay scared.